Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 17 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So if you speak to us at any point, we will somehow figure out a way to push you towards ownership. But what we know is that for most people, an associateship is the first step towards ownership. Maybe you're not sure where you're going to go or land geographically. You want to figure out what type of practice you want. You need to get your production up. There are so many reasons you may have to enter into an associate agreement first. So let's talk about what to look for and maybe what not to worry about. So hello, Mr. Loretto. What's up, Christy? <laughs> How are you today? I am well, I'm doing okay. My son lost his basketball game last night down in Austin. It was a long drive back out at about 1.30. And oh. the boys have been playing together um, since they were in seventh grade. And to be honest, uh, they were all crying. Oh, all of them. Oh, man. Coach was crying. I mean, it was uh, it was just so more emotional. of a very spiritual, very close relationship that those boys had together. And so it was a little bit of heartbreak. So this morning at 8 o'clock, I was loving on him. And he's like, Dad, I'm not going to school today. And I'm like, son... Don't go to school today. <laughs> You've got all your classes. You're going to OU. Totally it's thought fine. you would go the it other way with so, that. It was so, so sad. So sad, Christy. I'm a little tired. I got about 1.30 uh, last night. All is good. I had the opposite. I had a uh, eight-year-old tell me she hated me. <laughs> she was going to move out. <laughs> so I had to talk my husband into not giving her the suitcase and putting her on the front porch to scare her. Um, yeah. Oh, but, yeah. So I'm sure, I'm sure I'm in for the world of her. But it was the other emotional side of parenting last night for me so um we've been busy this I week know, right you are headed off to go speak yeah, you is, have some good numbers yeah right? yeah i'm very very fortunate to speak at midwinter this weekend we've got sold out crowds so i think 750 people that are registered for two courses on this topic of why to own a business and so Super excited. Spreading the word. Man, I've got powerful lectures lined up, so I'm ready to get people fired up. Well, (laughs) I am taking care of things here on the home front. Okay. We've got two people that just joined our team, and so we're gearing up for all the interest you're going to start there. So busy just kind of getting them onboarded and and teaching them our ways. And if you've ever brought someone on and hired them on, it is tiring, but worth it work. Yes. Um, Especially since they're listening. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. (laughs) They're great people. Uh, Wonderful. I just wake up excited. So I can't believe we've never talked about this. It doesn't make sense. It seems like we would have put this like episode two. I think that we have probably like mentioned this in numerous episodes, but I don't think we've ever talked about this as a whole episode. I know we haven't. So today we're going to talk about the associate agreement. This is part of what we do for free coaching. So we, you know, have people call us and say, Hey, here's an associate agreement I was given. What are your thoughts? Right. And so not attorneys, but we're looking at them to say, here, here's what we're thinking. And what is your, again, what is your transition plan and how does this relate to ownership? And so most people that call us, their focus is on the compensation. Right. And we're going to talk about that today. But what we see is we kind of want a little bit more, right? We want the why, we want the story that goes with why you're taking the associateship. And we tend to focus on a little bit of a different piece of the puzzle. Walk us through kind of what our story is on these. Yes, I definitely say for the last decade or so, yeah, send me your associate agreement. Typically, I just tell them I'm going to look at two things. I'm going to look at your comp and I'm going to look at the non-compete. But I think what really sets us apart and what we do is really kind of dive into your story. I'm looking at a business to purchase like fine. It looks great. Doesn't look good. I don't know. Tell me your story. Mm-hmm. And so I'll give you a couple of examples here. And so you can kind of get where I'm coming from. Female orthodontist I met at a recent meeting. And she's telling me that she is from a small town. There are three other orthodontists. One is retiring and one is on drugs. 
Um, <laughs> so, uh, just, not a joke. Yeah. 28, 29 year old, very attractive, just well put together, well spoken, just finishing a residency. And she's like, she's going to go back to this town. I was like, Kansas or something. And I'm like, I definitely don't want you to sign this associate agreement with this non-compete. You're from the town. So if you want to go get some experience and confidence first, that's not a problem. Let's maybe go out to someplace fun, not to the middle of Kansas or Iowa or wherever it was from. Let's go East Coast, West Coast, enjoy life a little bit, get some experience, get some cash, and then potentially get there. Because the last thing I want to see is for her to go back, be the associate, get caught up in some non-compete in her hometown. Now she's built a relationship, and now what she's going to do, if it doesn't work out, she's going to have to leave yeah. I mean, 15 miles or 20 miles, wherever this is going to be, if she can find an associate the next town over, right. which is going to be very, very difficult. So basically just kind of walked her through this. So really just kind of understanding kind of that story is really important. And the other example would be is, you know, well, my wife, uh, she's from Georgia. I'm from Florida. And I've got this associateship position in Iowa because I'm going to make. Uh, I don't know why I'm putting down Iowa people. I know. I'm about to say, like, I love Iowa. I almost am joking that, like, Iowa is actually our most prolific listener, Charles. Now you've just ruined the podcast. (laughs) Okay, Iowa people. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, let's find another place. Ohio? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) What, Texas? Fine, fine, fine. You're from Florida. You're from Georgia. Let's go to a different state. And why are we going to these other places unless it's got some type of ownership opportunity there? Let's don't remove our whole family just because we're going to maybe make, you know, additional 20 or 30,000 or $40,000 more. It's just look at these associate opportunities. We're just going for the experience. Great. We're going to try something out. New town. Great. But if it's going to lead to something, let's really dive into more questions of if it does lead into something like where are you guys from and what are you trying to accomplish? Yeah. And if you're going to Iowa or Ohio and you're not from those places, places. um, I don't really care what your non-compete is if you don't see yourself there. It could be the whole state if you'd ever want to be in Ohio again, right? Right. Like if you're going there for a reason that's not long-term and you don't plan on being there and you can assure us that you're never going to want to settle down there. Well, then, you know, go get your experience and live out whatever dream you're going to live out in that said state. And then let's figure out how to get you to ownership. Well, that sounds like a good segue to go into non-compete issues. I think so. <laughs> let's do it. So non-compete. So generally there's two components, time and mileage. So how long can it be until you kind of go compete in that area? And what's the mileage? Generally, the mileage is you'll hear the term as the crow flies. And basically, if you look at a map and you draw out 15 miles in a circular distance, so it's not in driving mileage, right? Um, That's what we're talking about when we talk about the non-compete in those two pieces. Generally, it's smaller in urban areas. So if you're going to downtown Seattle, maybe it's three to five miles. If I'm going to a rural town in What's another state? Idaho. Then maybe that distance is wider because you're pulling patients from a larger area. You know, if you're in Louisiana, it's going to be by parish. And so every state kind of has different rules as far as enforceability of these and how big they can be to be enforceable. But the bottom line is if you have a non-compete and you try to break it, you're going to have to hire an attorney regardless of enforceability and what it looks like. And it's going to be costly to try to argue it, right? So we really want to pay attention to what those are. And much like Charles was just talking about, what's important is the story. If you are going to have an associateship in a town where you want to set roots, then we need to talk about the non-compete and what that looks like if the opportunity doesn't work out or you've decided to own. 
Yeah. And this is perfect segue to my part of this, which is this week, I spoke to a pediatric dentist. She's from here. She went to school here. She's practiced in a suburb just outside of Dallas. And they've got the house, they've got the husband, and they've got, she's got the kiddos and, you know, they're in the little play groups. And, they got their and grocery store. Got the grocery store picked out. Everything is all good. Here's the problem. She also makes very good money. Uh, she's in an associate position. So it's happened to be a pediatric practice. Killing it. I mean, three plus million dollars between these two dentists. So they're crushing it. The problem is that the senior doctor, now after six years, doesn't have a plan to make her a partner and now doesn't want to make her a partner. So now she's getting frustrated. So now she's coming to us and saying, hey, what do you think I should do? And so we're trying to create a partnership, but you can't force somebody to marry you. So if they want to get married, it's fine. So we're going to have to get another plan. First question, what's your non-compete? It's 15 miles as a pediatric dentist, 15 miles. And so in a major city like Dallas, 15 miles, you know, could be 45 minutes of traffic. Mm -hmm. They own a home in their community. Mm -hmm. So what are they going to do now? Going to go set up a practice from scratch. Maybe that's now 20 miles away because they have to do their demographic studies. That They figure out the best location. That number is 20 miles. It's 20. That's a new home. Yeah. That's selling a home, that's uprooting your family and moving. And so that's something to me, if I would have been able to see that early on, I would have been able to have a pretty good conversation with this young lady to say, look, great opportunity, but I am nervous about the non-compete. Yeah, we want you to drive to your six-year associateship opportunity, not your 30-year practice opportunity, right? Well we said, Christy. Rather you drive far. Um, and you know what's sad is that you could have literally said, male, pediatric, any other state in Texas, we've heard this story so many times. That story is not unique. We get people oh calling gosh. about that all the time. Yes. Um, you know, on the flip side of this, let's say your spouse is in residency and you guys therefore are planted in New York and you're never going to be in New York again. Again, we don't care about the non-compete there because your goal is just to get some experience, wait on spouse to finish whatever they're doing, or to kind of move to wherever you're eventually going to be so that you can kind of plant roots. And then we care about the non-compete. So again, understanding the story, making sure that we're driving there. In your example, you said, hey, if they had just called us beforehand, right? right. We, we could have figured this out. How do we negotiate that 15 miles, right? Like, when do we negotiate it? When do we not? Language is obviously critical here, right? It is. So, again, if it's an amazing opportunity in this case, I like to ask a lot of questions here. So, tell me about this pediatric dentist owner. So, if an associate calls me and says, hey, what do you think about this? Well, tell me about the owner. They are 65 or are they 35 bringing in the associate? You know, when they're 65, I feel better because they're definitely ready to make this transition happen. Mm -hmm. They can see it. They can feel it. The 35-year, I'm a little bit more hesitant because I know that they just probably spent maybe the last four or five years building this beautiful practice from the design, the architecture, and just the branding. It was just so much effort. They may not be willing to just become equal partners with you out of the gate. So I want to ask more questions. But if it is this amazing practice, you connect, you maybe with the dental school together, something you like and love and trust each other, your brothers and sisters, whatever. It is a $2 million machine. It just says all the things to say it's going to be a partner. Then I'm going to be more open to it. But I'm really going to be looking at if the sister or brother says, hey, we want a 15-mile non-compete. It is something I want to have maybe some verbal training with you and just say, look, can we at least have some conditions of satisfaction, which we'll talk about later? Can we put more reasonable time 
you know, like maybe it's a, a two-year versus a three-year, and can we put a reasonable non-compete like a four or five-mile, six-mile maybe radius? Here's where the vast majority of your patients are coming from. We can go in the Dentrix program and see that. Here's the zip code. And so 90% of all your patients are coming from here, which is only three miles. So I would be willing to do five. But 15, it would really take away from me and my family. We're going to build a home right down the street from here. And so just make sure you have an argument than just saying, I want 15 miles. This could be an amazing opportunity. So you just don't want to draw a line in the sand and just see 15 miles and just say, I don't like this. I was told that's too far. My attorney said, because it will totally wreck this, oh, maybe yeah. perhaps amazing opportunity. Yeah. And a couple things there. If you don't know all those details, you don't have a plan, right? So then we're much more apt to help you negotiate that down and, and talk about maybe if there is plan and, and there's transition terms you guys have talked about, which we'll talk about later in this episode, then maybe we're okay, like you said, with the 15 mile. But most people, I think there's a potential for ownership. Right. They won't talk about it yet. Yep. We have no discussion about it yet. They're not willing to do that. This is where I want to be. I think that's where some of those language pieces come in where you can try to get them to understand why you're asking for it. I'm not asking for it so that I can then, you know, two years from now, set up shop next door to you. I'm asking you because this is where I'm from. I really hope this works out. I would love to be a partner here if that's where this leads to down the road. But if it doesn't, I'd like to be able to stay here and build a family and have a network and all of these things. And it's that language of explaining, like you said, why versus just, I want two miles and moving on. How's this sound? Hey, I'd like to date you, but I'm not willing to discuss my religion, how many number of kids I want to have, my income, my debt. I don't want to talk about marriage, okay, but I want to date you. Really? Come on. <laughs> Ask more. I think that's dating in 2019. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm happily married. married. <laughs> Another thing that we've seen sometimes, and just in this kind of last point, we'll move on to money here. But sometimes we'll see if there's zero talk and you're not sure if you're going to like it, but maybe it is close to where you want to be. Sometimes we'll see kind of a grace period. So maybe the first couple, two, three months where the non-compete doesn't take into effect until the second or third month to see how does that working relationship look like? Do you like it? And you can kind of go from there. So just options there, talking about it, understanding what the goals are. Um, I think that, that that's it's our, a big that's part of this, this associate agreement, non-compete. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about um, money. Money, money. So that is obviously the first thing people want to talk about. It's very important. You got to buy groceries. You got to pay student loans. You got to live while you're getting this experience to help you become an owner. We like typically best case scenario and in most cases is some kind of base yes. and then some kind of incentive that's based on a percentage of production. So yes. give me some examples here to, to explain what we were talking about. Yeah. So typically in a, for, for a GP, maybe they're working one or two days a week, or maybe it's a four day a week. So typically you're going to see some type of per diem. So even if it's a per diem, and let's say they come up with their first round of, let's say, 500 a day. When you think about what a $500 base is a day, 16-day working week, it's called eight grand a month. I'd rather just have a base salary, and I typically would say D4 is coming out, would have a $7,500 base. I might see orthos or pedos maybe at a, a per diem of 1000 or 1200 a day. I might just see you know, surgeons or periodontists at different percentages. But talk GPs for today. If you've got specific questions on your specialty or something unique about you, then obviously reach out to us. But I would typically say that if I got an associate in practice, I would prefer that they have a base salary of $7,500 a month, equates to $90,000 as a base. Then I have a break-even. If I was paying them 30% over their break-even, so I would say, hey, associate, 
if you produce anything less than $25,000 a month, I'm going to give you a base. So I've got you. But if you have a big month, I go out of town or whatever, and the practice is really doing well, and you produce 40000 of collections, then I'm going to give you the greater because now 30% of the 40000 is $12,000. So you would typically see in that scenario, you get like $7,500 base, and then you would get some type of $4,500 bonus the following month. So I prefer base salaries just so I can keep the associate there at 8.30 to, to 5 or whatever the time frames are. Let's get them in. And, you know, they're checking hygiene. They're assisting the senior doctor, whatever it is. But they're a salary. But they also have some incentives along the way to keep them busy. And I think that helps on both sides, right? As a buyer, I have some security. I have this base amount that I'm going to get as a seller. I have incentives to put production on their books because I'm going to be paying them a certain amount regardless. And then if they do better, we both do better, right? We both can benefit from your increased production. So another question we get a lot is, which seems to stress people out, is am I going to be an independent contractor or am I going to be an employee? Yes. Most of the time, you're going to be an employee, right? Being an independent contractor is tricky. It's harder. We'll see it with traveling specialists where you're going to be going to a bunch of offices, your perio, oral surgeon, you're bringing yes. people with you. You definitely want to get an attorney involved if, if that's how you're going to structure your agreement. But most of the time for these couple of year associateships, you're, you're going to be an employee. Yeah, the independent contractor has very specific rules uh, with the IRS. So you have to meet all those rules. And so you want a legal contract that has each of those rules and making sure that you're following that. So that that is, uh, like Chris said, is a little bit tricky. So you definitely want an attorney involved if you thinking the independent contractor route. And then another thing people ask us a lot about is benefits. CE, how much vacation time am I getting? Am I going to get health insurance? Am I going to get retirement? I would say those those kind of benefits are rare unless it's more of a long-term or potentially you're going to be a partner and so they're willing to give you those things. At the end of the day, what are your thoughts? It just, um, the doctor gave me 3,000, you know, CE. I really want five. Should I negotiate here? It depends. I mean, when maybe negotiating in a corporate office, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. But if it's a, a amazing practice, it's going to lead to ownership, and you're going to make a half a million dollars. I really don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care about you know if I'm going to get the 401k this year or next year. I don't care about 2,000 CE or 4,000. I just don't care. And it's, I think it's it. It comes down to: Am I going to be an employee? Am I going to be an owner? That's right. If I'm going to be like a long-term employee, then of course I care about those things, sure. right? Because that's part of my comp. But if I'm going to be an owner and the, this is the opportunity. Short term for a couple of years. Sure, I mean you're gonna go. Do you need let, five weeks vacation? Are you gonna? Are, is your goal to get production, or is your goal to take five weeks vacation? If I got five years of experience in the business world, I'm gonna leave one business and I'm gonna go to another Fortune 500 company. I can negotiate my deal. I can negotiate yeah. maybe some CE if I was an accountant. I maybe I can negotiate some things like I don't know health insurance or vacation. That's the time that you're yeah. gonna negotiate because there's really no negotiating the other pieces. But yeah. ownership is the key for this example and what we believe in. And so it's a part of the contract, uh, certainly, but the bigger piece is really what's this going to lead to. Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about compensation, I think that most of our questions also lead to how much are you going to be working and how busy are you going to be, right? Because that depends on how much money you're going to make with that base or percentage structure or just percentage if that's what's being offered. So 
this is important because how big of a practice depends on how busy you are, depends on how much money you're going to be making. Make sure and listen to the Nancy Drew episode, episode 14, because that will allow you to see and understand what your involvement as an associate is going to look like, right? right. If they have had an associate before, that's fantastic. Yes. You have a blueprint of what your day, what your production, what it's going to look like. That doctor has experience with that. If not, that becomes challenging, right? So what is an example here that we see often and that where we might go away from our advice of a base plus percentage structure? So just really looking again, great point to that Nancy Drew episode. So I, I really just want to see that the stock of the business looks like it's ready to take off. I mean, we do this in lecture all the time, but if it's a million, two, million, three, million, four GP practice, 50 new patients a month, it's got the chairs, it's got everything, right? It's screaming that your schedule is just going to blow up then I feel comfortable. It may be the first time this guy or gal is bringing you in, but I definitely want to have that information. And you want to be able to, before you commit to signing these non-compete agreements, be able to have a candid conversation with the doctor to get those numbers, to get the plan. Are you going to keep working four days a week? Are you going to go to three? Am I going to pick up five days a week? What procedures, what marketing plans are we going to have? So that we can essentially fill your schedule up. And I'm going to feel more comfortable about that again, because I can see it. But when these practices are smaller, some 10 new patients a month, 7,800 collections, and you're going to bring you in as an associate, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be slow. Yeah. And slow times 30% is no money. And so when you're $400,000 in debt, I need business. Remember, we talk about those critical steps when you get out of school is I need clinical experience. I need business. I need cash so we can go buy something. So if you go into something as the associate and you're slow and you're getting no money, this is not solving steps one and two. Yeah, and I think that that also goes into, are you committing to four days a week or three days a week at the $800,000 practice? Right. You're not going to fill those four days. Now you yes. can't work somewhere else. really good point. Now you have a non-compete, right? And so now you're stuck, you know, maybe driving all across the county to, right. to get your production and get what you need. That's a, so such a good point. The $800,000 practice, we may want to be the associate for just two days a week. Yeah. So now all of a sudden you'd have a good conversation with that doctor up front. And so now all of a sudden we're not talking about a non-compete of 10 or 15 miles. It's like, let's just put it at three. There's not really many patients I'm going to quote unquote start having relationships with to potentially even take them yeah. and, and associate. And I'll tell this to a senior doctor more importantly, but this is a conversation I have with a senior doctor so you understand it. Senior doctor, he's 27. She's 27 years old. She's going to come in the practice and check some hygiene patients. Are these patients really going to follow them? I mean, they're going to LinkedIn them and Facebook them and go, I really like that 27 year. I think I'm going to follow them. So seeing your doctor, come on, yeah. lighten up on this non-compete, bring them in. You've got some risk involved here, but they're not going to take your patients. Yeah. So let's just leave that alone. Get them in the practice. Let's grow the practice. Let them allow them to go two miles down the street and be busy form this relationship and partnership. So sometimes we'll get involved with either A, how to coach you, how to coach him or her, or we'll get involved and actually coach them as well with when we do the dual seller consulting relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, all of these pieces are all related to ownership to us. And so sometimes if you've had the conversations of I'm doing this associateship because I'm going to become a partner, I'm going to buy into this right. or buy you out at, later down the road, oftentimes both associate, most of the time it's an associate saying, hey, like how do we put this information in an agreement? Right. 
where it can be legally binding. Right. And our, our answer is that it can't be, right? right? The terms of a sale are oftentimes too complicated to be put into an associate agreement and be legally binding. Correct. But, and that's a big, big but, there are tons of things we can do beforehand and yes. things we can put in the agreement that help with both parties understanding what the transition goals are down the road. And what we've agreed to today that we are both going to, in good faith, carry out in the future. Yeah, I'll call this the our transition terms or also the conditions of satisfaction from the seller. And I came with this idea years ago. kind of proud of it. I kind of like it. <laughs> Not too many things I'm like, I thought that was pretty good. But what I did is the buyer and seller kept going back and forth. That actually happened to be a periodist. And the buyer was a little picky and the seller was a little picky. And they just wanted, the buyer was really pushing me on I want this, I want this, I guarantee this. So what we did is we actually came up with the plan. We actually put in the associate contract these transition terms. And so it basically has a legal agreement and associate. Again, not going to be binding, but at least it's acknowledging that the buyer and seller have agreed to the plan. And so the plan was laid out. Here's the associate compensation. Here's when the valuation was going to be done. Here's the transition team that was going to be hired, mutually agreed by both buyer and seller. Here's the percent of the buy-in at these particular dates. Here's how we're going to split money. Here's when the 100% buyout took place. Here's how we're going to handle the building. Here's when I'd be able to buy the building. It was laid out. We discussed mm -hmm. all of these points early on, and this is a, a relationship I had with both the buyer and seller to get it done, and it was a long time. It was a yeah. four-year engagement to get both of them through this process, but at least we kind of had something that we put in writing. We dealt with the issues, and we didn't stick with the exact plan along the way. We kind of mended a little bit along the way, mm -hmm. but at least we had something it's with dates and commitments. Yeah. It's a conversation. It's a conversation. The more you can talk about it up front and the more detail you can talk about up front, the better. And maybe your seller or you know boss, uh, the practice, isn't willing to talk about certain pieces of that as in detail when you start, right? That's okay. Maybe they won't commit to how much you can buy in, but they will commit it to the valuation date and the valuation method and when you'll start those conversations one year out, 12 months out, 16 months out, 18, whatever it is. The more you can talk about, the more you can document, the more you can just sit across from each other, read each other's faces, read each other's emotions, I think the better you will feel and probably the more you might find out about how real the art opportunity to own is in, in that situation. You know, one of the funnest things that I think that we do is when we get a potential dual agreement where the buyer wants a plan, but the seller doesn't have a plan. And so we get both of them on the phone and we'll have that, that call with them. And basically, well, okay, seller, well, tell me what you want to do. Well, I really don't have a plan. Okay, so let me help you with this. Uh, is this going to be like a two-year plan, three-year, four years? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, so what I'm hearing is maybe a two-year plan. Does that work? Yeah, that sounds good. Now, buyer, uh, how does that sound to you that you would become a partner you know, in two years at practice? Uh, yeah, two years sounds good or, or, or maybe you know, one year. Okay, so what I'm hearing now is a little different. So we should, we should go with 18 months? Yeah, that, that sounds good for me. Okay, so, so okay, so we're making progress here. <laughs> and you're going to come in as four days. Is that, does that sound good? We have plenty of chairs. You know, I think, think you have a six-year practice. I'm looking at your website. Yeah, that sounds okay. Great, yeah. you know. And then, and so uh, we typically value at this time. Does is, how does that sound? 
That sounds good. Or, you know, we get a little yeah. bit of that hesitancy or you get a little bit of the feedback. And then we basically take the two people yeah. like a counselor would and say, let's make a marriage. Yeah. You know, and yep. it, it's really fun to do. Yeah. Or you hear the, um, I want it to oh happen at three years and I want it to happen in six months. Mm, that's something we have to work through, right? How about our girl this week? Mm. We'll call her Dr. B and, and, and now all of a sudden we got to these transition terms and the seller was going to sell um, her half to her uh, at year, I think, uh, five. Now she's in year three. She still, still doesn't own. And now she's only going to sell 30% now and she wants to remain the 20% partner for 10 more years. So we pushed basically mm-hmm. these conditions of satisfaction from the seller to her, but the seller wasn't ready. And they're not ready. They're not ready. Ready. We pushed her out. We told our buyer, we're moving on. And, yeah. and, that's, and that's a hard conversation it to is. have. And it, 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 is. It, it, it changes kind of your whole life plan. But, you know, at the end of the day, the more you have these conversations and the more you do a little bit of upfront work and the more you can document, I think the better off you're, you're going to be because these are hard conversations. Are. And once you're in the practice and you've committed and you've started to build relationships, they don't get easier. So do your homework. And um, Dr. B, we love you. Oh, so much, so much. Okay, so again, the associate agreement is not ever going to be able to cover all the points on this, but again, what's your story? What's your goal? Is it ownership? Then let's proceed as such. I think we've covered all the big points that I focus, right? So remember, we're always happy to help you review this. We want to know your story. We want to know why this associateship matters, and we're happy to help you coach you on the verbal skills there. Yes, sir. Will you guys share these messages, share this associate agreement? There's so many people that get stuck in this whole non-compete thing. They really mess up the first five to seven years of their their career. So if you're listening either in a class or a residency program or you've got a Facebook group or something, share these episodes to other people just so they can hear this message and motivate them that ownership is possible and uh, that they don't get stuck in some of these examples that we talked about. Yep, because you can do it. That's right. Remember to subscribe to Transition Talk on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify, and always like us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Have a great week, and until next time, friends. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Christy.